friend told me a story the other day. They said, imagine that you're driving down this highway. And as you drive down this highway, this amazing car comes from behind you. And it has all of the special car things. Like, I don't really know anything about cars. But he used all this language like horsepower and and wheels that did the aluminum braking system, whatever the thing is. He described this amazing car. And, and so imagine that for a second and you think to yourself, wow, that's a really cool car. And so you pull up right next to the car and what you notice is that the person driving the car is actually a five-year-old. And you think to yourself, I have got to get away from this car as fast as possible. Not because there's anything wrong with the car, but because a five-year-old was never meant to be in control of a car like that you know that it's going to end in disaster. Now, the truth is, is that oftentimes we find ourselves in that exact place as that five-year-old. We've like taken control of things that we were never supposed to take control of, that we were never designed to be in power of, like our emotional, social, uh, psychological, relational, or sexual decisions about all of the things in the world. Like we were never supposed to hold all of that power. And as a result, like things start to fall apart all because the wrong person was in charge. Now, if we look back at the beginning of the Bible, at the first pages, we see Genesis 1. God creates this whole world, this beautiful car, right? This beautiful creation that's perfect and it's a paradise and everything works well because God's in control because he's the one that's supposed to rule the whole thing. There's no crime, there's no war, there's no suffering and it's all because it was under the rule and control of God. But then what happens is everything changes. We get to Genesis 3 and everything goes crazy because humans decide they want to be in control. It's not that the humans in the narrative wanted to do evil. It's that they ate from the knowledge of good and evil. They wanted to take on the responsibility of deciding what was right and what was wrong. And the results were catastrophic. Now, in some ways, this is actually the whole point of the Gospel of Mark. It's not just this random collections of the stories of Jesus and his teachings. It's not his journal entry. Instead, Mark has this really specific purpose. In the first chapter of the first verse, Mark says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. See, Mark makes this really big claim that Jesus is the rightful ruler or the Messiah. And he's come to like overthrow all of the wrong rulers that have caused disaster. Now, for the people in Jesus's day, they thought that that meant he was going to come overthrow the Roman rule. They thought they were the ones that had made this whole place, this whole world a disaster. But as you continue to read the Gospel of Mark, what you find is that Jesus isn't talking about Rome at all, because in the end of Mark, Jesus actually lets himself killed by be killed by the very government that they thought he had come to overthrow. And it turns out that if you read really carefully, Jesus is not trying to overthrow Rome, but overthrow the rule of sin and death that resulted when humans wanted to rule ourselves. See, at the beginning of Mark, when Jesus slips into the scene in that very first chapter, Mark's already told us that the people know that things aren't working right, that they are flawed and in need of help. And so they go to be baptized by John because they know that they need this help. They go to the place that John goes to, which is the Jordan River. It's the place of miracles from the Old Testament. And Jesus comes in and he proclaims this thing. He says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Change your actions and believe the good news. Now, this phrase that Jesus uses, and in fact, Mark used in the first chapter, good news. It's this word, eulangelion. 
It's basically breaking news. Like that's what it is. Breaking news of historic proportions. Something major has happened. Now, a couple weeks ago, watched the election and the anchors on the news channel kept saying this thing, breaking news. They'd interrupt whoever they were interviewing. They'd say, breaking news. But then it would turn out that they said, we know nothing new yet. <laughs> this is not that kind of breaking news. This is huge breaking news, alert breaking news of historic pr pr proportion that's going Going to change everything. And Jesus says that the breaking news is that the kingdom of heaven is near, that the rule of God is close, that the opportunity to come near and put yourself under God's new rule and control is, is come, that, that we all now have an opportunity to function in the way that we were created to function, to put ourselves in the yes position to God, breaking news of historic proportion. Now, Jesus then, we're told in Mark, goes into the temple and he begins to teach about this breaking news. And the people are awed. They're like, what the heck? This is crazy. But I'm sure that they're wondering to themselves, is this breaking news just an idea? Or is it really true? Is it just talk or does it have action? And like right on cue, Mark tells us that this demon-possessed man stands up and he calls out to Jesus and he goes, why are you here? Are you here to destroy us? I know you're the Holy One bringing the kingdom. And Jesus in that moment rebukes this man and casts out the demon. And in that second, all the people see that Jesus has overthrown the rule of what bound that man and set up a new rule in him. Jesus was proclaiming and demonstrating that he had the power to overthrow whatever the past rulers were that were in us and set up a new reign and rule, the reign and rule of the kingdom. Now, I totally get it. Sometimes when we start talking about demon possession, we all kind of start freaking out, not sure what to do with that. But we shouldn't. One, because it's really common for us to see demon possession throughout scripture. Also, because if we believe in an unseen personal God who works all things in the world for good, then it's not so hard to believe that there's an unseen personal enemy that works all things for evil. And plus, if you look at all of the evil and destruction in this world, it's not just individual acts, but instead it seems like there is a force for evil, like magnified all of that stuff. Plus, the way that the Bible describes demon possession is not so uncommon from what you and I probably experience in our own lives. It's, it's this binding. It's this being controlled by evil. It's not totally uncommon with what we deal with when we're controlled by sin or death or addiction or some way that we're broken and, and kept from living in line with the way that God desires us or has created us to live. And the truth is that you and I were not powerful enough to set ourselves free. But breaking news, Jesus overthrows the old rule to set up a new kingdom and a new rule in us. And when he does, healing comes. And so the question is, what do you need to let Jesus overthrow in your life so that Jesus can set up a new rule? Sometimes there are things in our lives that we're trying to control and we're trying to rule and we think that if we just can hold on to it a little tighter, that we might actually like get it. We might actually be able to control it. But the truth is that it's probably us holding on to that thing that's making it all fall apart. And what we're really being called to do is hand it over to Jesus to allow his kingdom to come and let the healing begin. 
Now, it's also really important for us to know that when we do put ourselves in that yes position to God, when we do uh, surrender those things and let God move in and take control and set up a new rule, like great things begin to happen. Like we start to get glimpses of the kingdom around us. The kingdom is all around us. But there's also this not yetness that happens inside of us, this longing for something more, this, this way that we feel like it hasn't become complete. And oftentimes this surprises people who follow Jesus. And it surprised the people back then that followed Jesus. See, they believed that Jesus would come one time in power and in charisma and he'd overthrow Rome and all of the things. And so they and us, we become really disillusioned when it doesn't happen the way that we thought that it would happen. The people back then were really disillusioned when Jesus died. And what we and they miss is that Jesus isn't just coming once, but he's coming twice. The second time he comes, he's going to come in power with justice and he's going to end evil and oppression and sickness and death like it'll be the end. But the first time he came, he came in vulnerability. He came as a human to sacrifice himself to make all of those things happen, to begin the process of all of this. And so when we begin our relationship with Jesus, we begin this process of healing, but it never fully happens until Jesus comes again, until he comes the second time. So no matter how awesome our relationship is with Jesus, there's sort of this not yetness about it. Like Jesus could begin to heal a relationship in our lives, but it doesn't make it perfect. And it doesn't mean that there's no more conflict and it doesn't mean that the people in that relationship aren't ever self-serving, but it begins the healing process. And so we might still struggle, but God is working. He's begun a great thing. And so that's why as a faith community, we can sort of see like people coming to faith and say, wow, oh my gosh, the kingdom is here. But at the same time, hold this tension of looking around and saying, wow, there's so much brokenness all around us. But my encouragement to you is, is this encouragement that's found in the book of Zechariah. The prophet says, do not despise these small beginnings for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. And basically what he's talking about is like, hey, it may be true that it takes a long time to dig the foundation of something. It makes, takes a long time to get something started. But don't underestimate those humble beginnings. Because what Paul tells us in Philippians is that he is certain that God who began a good work within you will continue his work until, the until it is finally finished on the day when Jesus Christ returns. Sometimes as followers, we focus on the wrong thing. We feel that not yetness, and we think that it means that we spiritually haven't done enough or that we're missing out on some really great experience. Well, the truth is you are missing out. You're missing out on the fact that the king has not come back yet, but he's coming and it has begun. And so my encouragement to you is that when you feel that not yetness in you, that you would cry an ancient prayer that was cried out by followers of Christ. It's a simple phrase that is Maranatha. It is translated as come, Lord, come. And it's a celebration that Jesus's kingdom has begun, that he's come this first time but it's also a cry out for Jesus to come again, to say, come Lord Jesus, come.